Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we come to you thirsty for your word. We come to you knowing that there is something that you have for each one of us on this day. And as we look at the church in the book of Colossians, allow us to hear what you have to say to us. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. There are some words that just give us such joy when we hear them. And the words I'm talking about is when someone comes up to you and says, I have been praying for you. Never have those words meant more to me than when I've heard them maybe the last eight months or so. Because I know what has been happening with those words. And I know what happens when we are given the privilege for praying for someone else. Words that also mean so much is when we come up to someone and say, I am really praying for you. Because in that act, we let go of ourselves. And there's a part of ourselves that is actually healed in the process of praying for another person. It is so, so powerful that I have been convicted maybe several years ago that whenever I say to someone, I'm going to be praying for you, that as soon as there is an opportunity, I stop and pray. Because I might forget later on. You can't make that promise to people and not keep it. It is sacred. What spirit-filled, heart-based prayer does, most of us have just seen the tip of the iceberg in this. It is this huge, immeasurable, powerful gift, the gift of prayer. And it's not just for the recipient. It's for us as we pray, as our hearts are open to the Spirit, and we're given words and insights and understandings about how to pray for a person. Well, the Apostle Paul and his cohorts are praying for a congregation in Colossae to the Colossians. But before looking at how Paul and his friends are specifically praying, let's take a brief look at who these people are in this ancient, ancient church. This is a church where the predominant culture held within it a religious perspective that people embraced so wholeheartedly that it was insidious and they didn't even know they were doing it. Yes, they loved Christ. This was an early church. Of course they loved Christ. But Christ was fit into the worldview rather than the other way around. They believed in the cosmos. And they believed in the, that the cosmos could tell them what was going to happen in their life and dictate their future. It's kind of like today when you hear someone say, well, I'm at one with the universe and the universe is happy with me. Well, this is like that in astrology put together on steroids. The cosmos. They believed in spirits, but not just the Holy Spirit. And we know there are many spirits. They believed in a super knowledge that they thought was generated from human beings. And that human beings with their own brain power could come up with solutions about everything, even the spiritual things of God. So what this did is it gave them this inflated view of self because all their thoughts were originating from self and not from God. 
and they were obsessed with the wrong things. And Paul and his cohorts loved them. And their prayers were asking God to fill the Colossians, the, I mean the um, Colossians, with knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. God's will. It's a direction that is facing God. And it is the conscious decision to turn our back on those things that have nothing to do with God. God's will is a reality and our free will is a reality. And it's dismissed almost as irrelevant with the Colossians because they believe that there's a bigger will that has to do with the cosmos that's somehow separate from God. And I have to admit that in our culture today, sometimes you get the feeling that seeking God's will is irrelevant. I mean, you've heard people say, if it's supposed to happen, it will. And I know what they're meaning by that and don't especially feel critical because in the long run, God is God and God will prevail. And for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, everything will work out. But there's also people who say, and one of these is a good friend, not in this congregation, who always says, it's all good. So I say to her, so if I report to you that someone just, that we love just died in a car accident, you're going to say it's all good? Or someone who's going through tremendous suffering, you're going to say it's all good? Yes, it will be all good. But right now at this moment, there is suffering. Oh, is there ever suffering? It's not all good. It will be. But at this present moment, no. We thwart his will all the time. It is his will to love people into the kingdom. It is his will that we, his followers, be an instrument of peace. His, it is his will for us to seek God's wisdom rather than the wisdom of the world. And the hardest thing I've ever had to do these past months is listen to God rather than all of these competing voices you know, when someone comes to you hurt and there's an emotion attached to it, you listen to that emotion if you're a compassionate person and say, they know what's going on. Look how deeply they feel. Or if you listen to someone and we have been through a brutal election process and I don't care who you voted for, it has been brutal. You've heard people massacre each other and these voices come in. And we give our power away to the wrong voice all the time. When we recognize the voice of God, it is contained in such love and such power that the relief and the freedom overcome us. I've been thinking about snapshots. Let me show you something. Here we are three years ago. These are snapshots of our church. There are good snapshots of us, 
and there are horrible snapshots of us. One of the things that women do for their friends is if there's a horrible shot of a friend in your iPhone or anywhere else, you erase it. You take it out. In that picture, there are, I kind of want to say to some people, you really don't look like that. When we are not following God's will, we take the ugliest snapshot of a person when they were at their worst and say, that's who they are. That snapshot says the truth. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we take the best snapshot of who a person is when they were giving an empathetic and open, and we say, because the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do this, that's who the person is. That's who they are. That's their potential. That's who they have the capacity to be. That's what the love of Christ does for them. When, and we all do this, I am not pointing fingers, we all do this. When we look at the terrible snapshots and then see the good ones, if we're really out of the will of God, we'll say the rest of it is all phony and the bad one will prevail. That is straight from hell. That is not what Jesus sent us to do. We love each other because he first loved us with a grace that's overflowing and he will actually give us the snapshots to see each other with. The passage continues. His will is listening to God's voice about who we are and becomes becoming strengthened by his voice. And how do we know it's God? There is an inner testimony to his spirit that tells us, whenever you look at a person and are given ways to love them, like maybe with a little insight or a broadened perspective, we suddenly love them. That is the Holy Spirit. When it's God's will, there is a freedom and there is a hope and there is a core strength rather than the head strength alone. There's an increased capacity to see his grace. Now, I don't even know if this makes sense to you, but we are people who like to be cerebral. Presbyterians are typical people who use their brains. And there can be a feeling when we're thinking about things, entertaining new ideas, that actually feels like the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit always leads us to a place of love and empathy and seeing we are in this together rather than us and them. The brain can lead us elsewhere. And of course, the brain is part of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the whole thing. When the Holy Spirit is within you, it is from your toes on up. It engages all of who we are. And he liberates us. The Holy Spirit liberates us as God liberates us through Jesus Christ. So after saying all this, maybe we do want to have his will, live by his will, abide in his will. But what about pleasing him? 
Does this come up in your spiritual life? The desire to please God? We pray it a lot before meetings. We will pray, please, Lord, let what we say and do be pleasing to you. Let what we say and do be pleasing to you. The desire to please, this is what Paul's words are. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit, growing in knowledge of God. It seems overwhelming. Maybe one of the reasons why I stayed away from Christianity for a while had to do with, it seems, overwhelming. We have to constantly worry about pleasing God, and we know how much we sin, and we know how human we are. But that was before I understood about grace. And what grace tells us is that in the big picture, it's the fruits of gentleness, patience, love, and kindness that matter. And in the big, big picture, whether or not you please God has everything to do with how open we are to grow in knowledge of him. It's about spiritual growth. We are not to remain stagnant. What's pleasing to God is that we grow. There's a goal, growth in the Lord, in spiritual understanding, being strengthened in all power, great endurance and patience, something we all need. And finally, we also know that we are in his will, and we also know that we're pleasing him by how and what we thank, how we thank God. That's the pinnacle of the praying without ceasing, because nothing promotes spiritual growth more than being aware with gratitude of what we've been given. Prayers of praise, Prayers of thanksgiving promote spiritual growth. Giving thanks to the Father for rescuing us, for rescuing you and me. And it is his will that we understand and know from the bottom of our hearts that we need to be rescued. Giving thanks that we are not powerless over evil. And this passage is called the dominion of darkness. It is his will that we shine the light of Christ on everything so that there are no secrets. We give thanks for redemption. It is God's will that we will be agents of change and love and we can actually, through God, can transform any thwarting of his will because he is not done with us yet in his grace when we come to him and ask for forgiveness there is something that happens that is tremendous in heaven every negative snapshot that god has of us goes away and he has a snapshot that we haven't even seen yet that is so beautiful because it is who we were created to be it is god's will that we understand this and understand that, yes, we thwart his, bill, his will from time to time, but he's not done with us yet. God inhabits praise. It's God's will. God's will is embodied and exhibited and revealed in his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who offers redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray.
Lord God, show us who we are in light of you. Help us to shed all the voices so we can come to you open and ready to hear. We love you, Jesus. Without you, we are nothing. You are the ground of our being. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.